insurance agents from around the world. Welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast, powered by Glovebox. God, I love Glovebox. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless host and leader, insurance agency owner and insurance evangelist for iProtect Insurance and Financial Services, based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome, he is a six foot three sophomore from Mobile, Alabama, parade first team All-American rivals, five-star recruit, he is a fantastic insurance agent and a great American. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome the incomparable Mr. Bradley Flowers. How are you, Bradley? Happy to be here, Scott. Happy to be here. Mobile, Alabama. Ladies and gentlemen, we are podcasting live. I drove 8,746 miles last night to Mobile, Alabama. I made the decision that Mobile is just a little too nice for me, Bradley. <laughs> so my wife and I stayed in Pritchard, Alabama last night, 10th highest you did. murder rate did, in the did. United States of America. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a special episode because after staying in Pritchard, Alabama last night, today is going to be an unusual podcast. Wait a second. Did you, did you actually stay in Pritchard? We are going to teach everybody on here how to make a 3D print of an AR-15 receiver, and then we're going to go through the step-by-step process, ladies and gentlemen, on how to steal a catalytic converter. Now, let me tell you what you got to do to start with. I need you to go to Lowe's, and I need you to buy DeWalt 18-volt, write that down, 18-volt reciprocating Sawzall. Now, here's where you're going to screw up. You're going to walk over after you buy it, and you're going to try to get that wood blade, that 10-inch wood blade. Don't buy that shit. It's not going to work. You need the the metal blade that goes with that reciprocating saw. Next episode of the Insurance Guys podcast, we're going to get into step two of how to steal (laughs) a catalytic converter off the bottom of a car. And uh, before this thing's over with, you folks are going to make a bunch of money. Like Uh, one piece at a time. That's it. cash. We're going to get sued in the process. I'm kidding. We did not stay in Pritchard, Alabama last night. But there were any hotels there. I can promise you if we had, I would have been up all night with my pistol sitting Mm. in the chair somewhere. (laughs) You stayed at the Hilton Garden Inn, didn't you? No. uh, This time, I actually brought my beautiful wife, Kim, down. And we had a very good night last night, if you know what I mean. And uh, we stayed at the Plaza Hotel, which is really, for two folks from Pine Ridge, Alabama, is a little too nice. It's the Renaissance right next to the Battle Hall. Oh, the okay. Hotel yeah, the Riverview. Uh, right, right. Riverview, yeah. That's where they put uh, Nick Saban and all those folks when they're in town for the Senior Bowl. Exactly. That's where everybody stays at usually. Guys, listen to me. We've got a very special guest today. And as I told Bradley on the phone on the way down here yesterday when I was traveling 8,226 miles to get here, I've heard this gentleman's name multiple times in circles that I travel in in the insurance industry. He's somebody that I've always wanted to interview. He's somebody that I respect, and I know he runs a good shop. And he can teach you a lot today about what he's doing that's successful. And that's why we wanted to have him on the show. I want to give him the introduction that he has always deserved. Ladies and gentlemen, he was born and raised and lives in Richmond, Virginia. He is married to the beautiful Cindy And they have two beautiful babies, Jalice, age 10, and Troy, age 5. Shout out to you guys. And as I always say, you don't care today, but one day you're going to listen to this podcast and you are going to be so proud of your daddy. And you should be proud of your daddy for what he's accomplished. 
He's a graduate of High Point University with a BA in communications. And in 2002, he started his insurance career with the Lizard, Geico. From 2011 to 2016, he was the agency owner for Kilgo Allstate. And today, he is the president and CEO of his own independent agency, Kilgo Insurance. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my profound honor today to introduce to you first-time guest on the IGP, Mr. Jason Kilgo. How are you, Jason? Man, I'm good. The crowd goes wild. No, man, I am pumped and excited to be here, man. Finally on your show. Brother, it has been a long time coming, and I am so excited to have you on this show today. We have got so much to talk about. These agents are starved to hear over the course of since 2002 what you've been doing to become successful with your agency. And as I tell every guest that comes on this show, our mission, mine and yours and Bradley's, is to help these agents any way we can. And some of the stuff we talked about before we came on here today is going to help them. So I'm excited about that. It's an honor. Just me and you, two big old boys, get in my DeLorean and go back in time. I have got, I am, I am riveted to hear this story of how on earth you tripped and fell into going to work for the lizard. Uh, you know what? I just like everybody else probably and uh, fallen into that in this career path, I needed money. There you and go. Uh, I, I literally was living right across the street from a, a Geico building. There's only seven of them or there was only seven of them back then. And uh, I just happened to be right across from me in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I walked in there and I said, I need a job. They said, well, you've got to go through this whole process. I said, no, I need a job right now. Who's your best insurance agent? I'll beat them in a year. Mm. And uh, that's what I did. I just set out to learn everything I could to make as much money as possible. And then in doing that, I realized that this is a cool career. This is something I, I could I could do the rest of my life. So you did that from 2002 to 2006. Now, at some point... During this process of working for the lizard, you, I guess, realized, recognized, hey, maybe this particular opportunity isn't where I want to be long term. And that's when you went out and started investigating and, and got into the world of Allstate to own your own Allstate agency. Tell us a little bit about that. Good God, Jason. You went from one you. to another. Uh, you yeah. talk about falling into one pile of shit. Into, no, I'm kidding. I'm joking. Yeah, no, you guys are right. I mean, a lot of people told me I was crazy, but, you know, Geico and what I learned about the insurance field is it's all about numbers. Right. You know, from a corporate standpoint, it's numbers, it's statistics, right? Right. And they figured out how much money to make per phone call. They figured out, hey, that this call needs to be 15 minutes or less, just like the commercial says. And they would cap your pay once you got to a certain level. Mm. So this is Allstate? This is uh, Geico. Uh, That sounds like an Allstate thing. Never mind. Yeah, well... Allstate too. Uh, so, you know, all those corporate players, that's how they do it, right? They yeah. figure out a way to squeeze as much as they can out of you right. and then say, okay, we've had enough. Mm-hmm. Either you're going to have to deal with it or you're going to have to leave. And so that's what I did. And, you know, what I thought you guys were talking about, I left Geico, went into mortgages. I was a loan officer. Okay. Mm. So I went from making, you know, six plus figures at Geico to back to zero, started at the ground Worked way back up, you know, did mortgages until the, you know, 2008, 2009 recession hit. Side, I wanted to go back into insurance. So you guys are right. It was 
one tough career to the next, but it was, I wouldn't trade it for the world because one taught me how to be on the phones and, le- and learn about insurance and get educated that way. And the other field taught me to run things on my own, commission only. Well, and the beautiful thing about what you did, and I kind of did the same thing myself, starting with State Farm and then moving over to be a nationwide principal agent, still captive, was you get to parse out the stupid stuff that you don't like and and then keep the good stuff that Mm -hmm. you learn with a captive to carry with you to your independent agency. So you can say, all right, all this stupid stuff we did that I don't like, we're not going to do that. But there are some diamonds in the rough that you can say, this was some good stuff. And I want to make sure I keep that and implement that into my independent agency. So one hot take that I have around this, there's a lot of successful independent agency owners and agents who have never been anything but an independent agent. And that's, that's awesome. That's fine. But a hot take I have is I think the folks who started out at the Geico's and the state farms and the all States have a better chance of success than somebody who just goes straight into independent. It's why I don't begrudge people when they tell me, you know, we see these posts on LinkedIn. Right. I saw one the other day, I'm going to work for Allstate, and I almost want to comment, I'm sorry. Right, right. But right. I don't because I'm not a jerk. Sure. But but it's why I don't begrudge people when, they, when they're when they making a career choice that I may disagree with, not that I do disagree with an Allstate or a State Farm or whatever, because – I think there are many, 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 many good things. Number one, many good things that those companies do right. Correct. Number two, there's something for everybody, right? Correct. I know people who are State Farm agents and Allstate agents that were meant to do that and are never going to do anything, and that's great. But I think you have a better chance of success because, and I've made this point on the podcast before, that if the captives know how to do anything, it's how to launch an agency and right. set them up for success. Correct. Whereas if you go straight into independent, there's nobody to tell you how to do anything. And that's why people get caught in these mm. stupid cluster agreements or aggregators right. or end up making decisions that, that, you know, cut off their nose to spite their face. Um, so that's, that's one point. Another thing I want to, I want to point out to you, Jason, is to go back to you starting at Geico, you know, the, one thing I'm fascinated with, and Scott, I'm sure you've heard of this, are the four levels of competency. Right. And when you start in a career, you are unconsciously incompetent. Right. In other words, you don't know how bad you are. A lot of times that guy or gal, they're so ignorant to how bad they are, they're actually going to do better because it's just like, let's make as many calls as we can. It's a numbers game, whatever. And then you kind of regress a little bit when you start becoming aware of how bad you are. I'll take the guy or gal who has no idea how good or bad they are, but is willing to smile and dial than somebody who's trying to be technical about every little thing that they do. Correct. Yeah, I think there's that when you go the route of captive Besides having a lot of really good processes and procedures, mm-hmm. and as Bradley said, having it really dialed in on, you know, the the four hundred steps to set up a successful insurance agency, uh, there's that perspective too, you know, that you always have that when you only have one product to sell, right? When you're or 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 if you're somewhere where you have more than one product, but there's a, you know, some sort of downside. If you're selling with one arm tied behind your back, right? Everything else has to be perfect for you to be successful. You have to have good processes. You right. have to have good training. You have to have good motivation. Right. So that's why it's a really good system to set people up to eventually have great careers. I mean, just look at Acrisure, dude. 
that the biggest independent agency in the country was started by an Allstate agent. Mm -hmm. You know, that's right. That's right. Hey, Jason, I've got a couple of questions for you. I'm going to go back to your time at Geico, and it's something I've always kind of scratched my head about, but uh, I always read every year, and I'm going to encourage every agent that's out there listening to this, and I can't remember the month it comes out, but I want to say March, April timeframe, Warren Buffett comes out with his annual report to shareholders. And I know that for everybody listening to this right now, they're thinking like, oh, that, that'll bore the spots off a giraffe. No, no, it will not. And the reason why is because it's fairly short, like three or four pages long, and he talks to the shareholders instead of in legal ease, he uses like the same language that I would talk to all of you with. Mm -hmm. So it's very, it's a very compelling read sometimes. Now, a lot of it, because they have so many different divisions of Berkshire Hathaway, a lot of it is a, is focused on other areas. But when he gets to the insurance three or four paragraphs where he talks about all their reinsurance companies and Geico, it is very compelling. Um, one thing that I have noticed that I've always scratched my head about is, is when you think about Geico, you think online, you think uh, the commercials, all the lizard commercials. But in Madison, Alabama, which is a bedroom community of Huntsville on Highway 72, which is one of the busiest highways in the state of Alabama, they have a pretty big, looks to me to be successful retail Geico agency. There's one here. Is there one in Mobile? Mm -hmm. And I've wondered here lately, like, are they, and, and you may or may not know, I know it's been a while since you've been away from Geico. What's going on there? Are they kind of moving in the direction of retail or what, what's happening there? You know, that is, that's a really great uh, way to get in this conversation. Totally did not think that was going to be coming from you. So obviously it's been 20 years, right? but if you were a top seller, if you got invited to his shareholder meeting, which you were, and then uh, Omaha, Nebraska, right? So right, it's right. a pretty cool thing to get invited to. But what's funny is you don't get invited there. I had it at Western Sizzler, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> So, and what's funny is... Welcome to Golden Corral, everybody, for the Berkshire really Hathaway shareholder. No, I'm making oh, that okay. up. Okay. You but don't get invited Omaha, there to Nebraska, hang out. I'm like, it's got to be at like a Texas Roadhouse local or country, something. Local <laughs> country club, Pikeville Country Club in Omaha. You know, I don't know the name of it, but it was it was something like that, Bradley. Yeah. It was like a, a bar. I mean, I remember we went someplace and had pool tables in it. Yeah. I mean, that's wow. kind of how it was. But anyways, you go there and think you've got this honor but you're actually going there to work. What he wants you to do is sell Geico to all the shareholders. Got you. Um, so it was a very interesting kind of set that there. Anyways, it, it's, it's funny you say that because just recently, you know, there's a Geico office here in Richmond. That's pretty big as well. Okay. And they've taken away from what I've here, they've taken away all the internet leads they were giving them. Mm. Huh? So, so now they want them to be more local get that personal community yeah. yeah referral base imagine that scott <laughs> imagine that geico wanting their people to be more local less internet leads i know imagine that i do know one thing they did uh so i had a local podcast here that reached out to me about sponsoring their their show and the reason that they wanted me to sponsor is they had a geico agent on there that was just murdering it 
sponsoring this podcast and they basically came back and said hey that's not compliant anymore you can't do that so they uh, took that away from them okay but uh, you, know, you know what hey jason you know what i've always said about geico it's it's great having geico insurance certainly gonna be fairly easy to get although when i did my online secret shopping of geico at the 18 minute mark they wanted to contact my third grade teacher to see if i ate my own boogers in class yeah. and then they said asked me how many college degrees I had and whether I could scan and email my degrees over to them. That's when I hung the phone up. But I've always said the beautiful thing about what we do as independent agents is when Warren Buffett's wife, and I've, I've read his book at that time, I don't think they were married. I think she was like his live in partner, probably uh, for tax purposes. When, when he's over in a economic summit in Sh- Shangri-La or China or Europe, and she has a branch fall on her house in Omaha, Nebraska. She wants to talk to Scott Howell. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to talk to the 18-year-old in the Geico Service Center. Mm-hmm. And I've always kind of chuckled to myself. The other thing about Geico, guys, that has always made my ass crave stovewood <laughs> is when I run across a prospect that tells me they have Geico for their homeowner's insurance, and I have to quickly tell them, no, ma'am, I'm sorry, but you see, Warren Buffett is way, 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 way too smart to get into the homeowner's game. Mm-hmm. And that's why if you actually go look at your policy jacket or your deck page, you will see that that homeowner's policy is either probably through MetLife or Travelers. Down here at Centauri or Sature. Sure, it is. Yeah. But don't don't come at me with I've got Geico for my homeowner's insurance because you don't. Well, it's a it's a really right. good way to we I've been in that scenario. Yeah. And we deal with this a lot here on the coast with with farmers and some of the captives because they do the same thing. They they oh, you're going to get farmers or you're going to get alpha. We'll just go ahead and call them out. Right. But it's actually somebody else. Right. And that what what I always do is I'll, you know, actually, no, you don't have farmers. You probably have a da 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 policy. And so you're doing two things. You are simultaneously in real time showing that customer that that agent lied to them or or misrepresented something. Sure. Build, and two, you were also showing how smart you are. They're like, wow, he really knows his stuff. Right. How to, and you instantly gain altitude in that process. But right. but I'll go ahead and give you the playbook now. If any Berkshire Hathaway shareholders are listening to this. Sure. How you increase the shares of Berkshire Hathaway by eons? Hey, hey, Warren Buffett, my buddy, my my brother Bradley Flowers told me this about a month ago. So when you listen to this podcast, Warren, I want you to play close attention to this clip because we're about to make you a billionaire. I know you need some more money. I know you don't have enough, and you're you know getting towards the fourth quarter. Bradley, tell him how he can make some more money. There is one way that that Warren Buffett can send Berkshire Hathaway into the stratosphere even more than they already are, and that is to give Geico's products to independent agents to sell. Boom. And I understand that you guys want to play the angle of, well, we cut the 15% out because that's what we would pay the agent, even though we all know that's really bullcrap and there's other ways that they do that. That's fine. Do what Progressive does and make the agents a little bit more, you know, their products will be a little bit more than what people get direct. That's fine. That's cool. But you're going to get a better client because if somebody comes to us and they want Geico and they don't fit with Geico, we're not going to put them with Geico. 
Okay. So you miss out on that customer that does not fit in your modeling. Number two, your customer acquisition cost is about zero. Correct. Okay. Your customer acquisition cost is whatever you want to spend on the marketing that you send to the agents to sell your products. And C, your loss ratio is going to be substantially better and your retention is going to be substantially better because that person, like you said, when a branch falls on their car and they want to talk to Scott Howell or Bradley Flowers, they can talk to Bradley Flowers. So that's how you do it. That's the blueprint of how you do he, it. One, and and Brad, he's going to do it one day. I really do think he's going to do it one day. But And, and Bradley, this is the way I look at it. I love it. I don't care. Go. You don't have to do this. Like he, They yeah, don't have don't, to I do mean, this. I don't care. This isn't me. I'll kick your butt sideways and twice on Sundays without having it, but I think it would do a really good job for the industry and for the shareholders. Well, Sorry, I, Jason. Warren, Warren, if you don't like money, don't do it, okay? Yeah, exactly. If you don't like money, if you don't like money, just don't do it and keep doing what you're doing. The end. Continue, Jason. Bye. Yeah, and well, and here's what I tell my team. Look, we're not marketing against Geico. They're not our client. That's not my target base. Yeah, that's, that's not that's not somebody I'm in competition with because there is no competition. But when I do get one of them on the phone, that's the best because the yeah. education and the way we do things on the call, how we how our process, our sales call process is set up, we absolutely destroy them. The customer has an aha moment and says, why am I with them? I'm going with you. Correct. So your opinion is what regarding why it seems like they continue to talk out of both sides of their mouth and talk about online this, online that. Because let's face it, guys, Geico has led the charge for well over 20 years to try to commoditize insurance. That's been their whole jam for 20-plus years. And yet I could drive down the road and there's a damn retail Geico agency on the damn side of the road. So what's what's going on there? There's a lot of talking out of both sides of their mouth going on there. They're trying to do what everyone's trying to do right now. They're trying to get more personal, right? They want, even when it was, you know, that call center model, when I was working there back in 2002, they were trying to get us to find a way to get more personal with the clients on the phone in 15 minutes. Right. So yeah. it's just that the problem is they're rate driven. They're so heavy rate driven and they want it to be so fast. You know, they want to be able to sell the most they can out of a day. Out of the eight hours you give them, they want, you know, 15, 20 policies sold. And part of the reason they're doing that, I guarantee you part of the reason they're doing that is because their loss ratio is terrible and their retention is awful. Right. And their customer acquisition cost is probably terrible. So it's like volume, 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 volume. We got to get as much as because we know we're going to lose 60 percent of it. Right. Once again, but he didn't care because he wants to float. Once again, the independent agent solves that problem. Correct. So you want to know the real reason I left there? I'll tell you the real. I mean, come on, hey, hey, yeah, pull your britches down and show us. I want to hear it. So they did cap you, but really, what they did is they pissed me off. So they came out with this thing. They said, "Hey, look, how come we're not person? How come we're not retaining as many clients? Why is our attrition so high?" Right. Right. And so they came out with this thing called the A call. And so they would monitor, they would have people that weren't as good as salespeople as you are get off the lines and they would monitor calls all day. And based on certain things that they want you to say and certain things of subliminally how they think the call went, whether Mm. you sold it or not, Hmm. 
was an A call or not. And if it was not an A call, what they did was they lowered your commission mm. or you got no commission at all. Mm -hmm. So let's say you were the number one salesperson, but your A call wasn't where it was going to be or needs to be to their standards, to their measurement, they would remove your commission. So that's where it started for them. That's where they started saying, hey, we do want to get this personal connection, but we also want you to sell. So, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That a call was that subjective based on a manager listening to that call. So it's a, so if Scott listens to that call, he might say it's an a call. If Bradley listens to that call, he might say it's not, but then it's also a way, I guess a, a roundabout way to cut your commissions because they could just say, Oh, well, we listened to all your calls and this was just, there was, 12 so of them that were good. This is the last time I'm going to make fun of you. You you left because of somebody monkeying with commission and went to Allstate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Hey, <laughs> hey, it's like you said in the beginning of the call. You know, you, you learn along the way, right? You don't always need, know it up front, right? We need the little Burt Kreischer, Tom Segura guy in the background to laugh every now and right, then. every now and then. Yeah. Well, it could be Brandon, but I don't know if Brandon's in the mood to laugh today. That was great. That was great. Brandon's sick, and I had him. I got him well, to come in at 5 o'clock this morning. Let's transition into Kilgo Insurance. Yes, let's do that. So a couple things I want to talk about today. Number one, Bradley had a great point that we need to talk to these agents to the, about today, and that's going to be my my second point I want to make. And just to give everybody a little flavor of, of what he wants to talk about so you guys can write this down is Jason's agency leads with Umbrella. But before we get to that, I asked you right before we came on this podcast, I said, Jason, I need you to tell me what you are the best at and your answer was you are the best at going out to loan officers and and the process of converting loan officers and i guess other people in the world of finance real estate that kind of thing into referral partners Let's talk a little bit about that process today because I'm wildly interested in this for my own agency because it's something we're doing more and more of. But tell our audience today, and they can write this down, what are you guys doing that maybe is a little different from other agencies out there in going out, meeting, building relationships, and turning those relationships into referral partners? Yeah, so... I, I think it just comes down to we want to be likable. Um, we want to be likable with these referral partners. I mean, th th there's competition at all angles in our industry. I mean, uh, all states, state farms, other independents are all trying to go after the same loan officer. Right. And what we decided to do is when we meet with these loan officers, we're almost going to we want to write their own biography. Mm -hmm. um, and so we get to know them and we get to understand what do you them. mean by what do you mean by that? Write their own biography. What does that mean? Yeah. So we want to we want to learn, okay, what are what are their hobbies? What do they like to do when they're not mm. doing mortgages? Right. What what does their what does their mortgage process look like? What who when's your anniversary? What's your spouse's birthday? What's your dog's name? What's your kids' names? What sports do they like to play? And so we want to be a part of that. And what we try to do is we try to become an extension of their team, of their family. But really what we want to do is we want to be friends outside of work. Yeah. 
build the relationship first. Everything right. else good comes from that. Yeah. That's right. And and then of course they're always gonna, you know, and they're always gonna test you, right? So mm-hmm. we've got to have we've been we've got to be able to back up what we say. We always say we're the fastest getting quotes out. And that's and, a, and that's a big, big, big deal to them because they, they're trying to close the loan. They need it quick. They need it fast to put in as part of the loan documents. Mm-hmm. And and I and I what separates us from the other independents is this. I think when you're an independent agent, you have your process set up of how you want to quote, mm-hmm. and you feel like those referral partners need to adapt to your process. Mm-hmm. We take the exact opposite approach. We say, how do you want this process to go with your team? And then we adapt to you. So we might have 600 loan officers that we know, and each one of them have a unique process on how they like to refer to us and how they like those quotes to come in and how they want this whole process to go with their client. And so we've written that down and made it a unique process with each loan officer so that when they refer us business and we know who it's coming from, we know exactly how this referral process is going to work. We know how they want the quotes. We know when we're going to talk to the client and we know how we're going to go right into our sales call. It's, it's so important to build the relationship first. Right. I gave a talk at Independent Insurance Agents of North Carolina a couple of weeks ago. I, I did two, and the second one was a breakout, and it was our loan officer process. And I started the presentation, and one of the very first things, if not the first thing I said, was, first off, if your goal when you talk to these lenders, and this was a young agent, so it was a lot of people sure. just getting started. If your goal is not to build the relationship first, none of this stuff I'm about to teach you is going to work. Correct. Because they're going to see you as a a salesperson. It's going to bleed through your teeth that you're transactional. You have to almost put the potential business you're going to get from this potential referral partner out of your mind and only focus on building that relationship. Who is this person as a person? And let me connect with that. Everything else will come from that. You and when you do that, you don't have to bring insurance up. Correct. You don't have to bring referrals up. You don't have to bring. Hey, here's how we can help you. All of that is going to naturally come up in the conversation. And to that point, b- before I let you add to that, Jason, I see a tremendous parallel between that and all the people that reach out to me about starting a podcast. Yeah. And what I tell each one of them is exactly what Bradley just said. If you're starting this podcast and the b- before you ever say one word on a microphone, you're thinking in terms of how much money you can make, how much revenue you can generate from a podcast, uh, sponsorships, all this stuff without putting all that to the side and just thinking about how can I help the people that I'm trying to reach? Mm-hmm. You are going to fail. Yeah, because there is no possible way to make all it. of that's going to be blatantly obvious. Correct. I'll tell you a funny story on that. This popped in my head the other day. So, you know, I used to do rodeo. Right. And I used to be a bull rider back sure. in, in my, I, I have the size for it. I'm, right. I'm small and uh, I'm not 6'3. And I attended a class one time. Mm on how to be a professional bull rider Mm. taught by a professional bull rider. Mm -hmm. And back then I don't, I don't do the cowboy stuff anymore, but back then everybody had the, the black felt 
ripped from Yellowstone type sure. cowboy, like one you have. And these companies would make these uh, stickers and they looked like a, a patch, like a like a like a, a, a sewn patch. But it was a sticker. It had adhesive on the back of it. Mm-hmm. Right. So like Bud Light, DeWalt, Drills, these right. you know, these companies they, and they would give them out. It was a little trick they would do. They would give them out to these amateur rodeoers. And everybody had one on their hat because they're trying to yeah to be a be a look like a pro, you know. And I remember I had a yellow Wrangler one, Wrangler jeans. And uh, I remember this guy was he was talking about you know because bull riding is like golf, an individual sport. You have to you have to get sponsors to fund you to go do it because you're paying your own way. There's no you know NFL draft or anything like that. And I remember he told this kid he was like they were talking about getting sponsorships. He said, "You see that that Bud Light? This guy had a Bud Light thing. He's like, but he's like, you got to take that off." And he's like, "Why?" He's like, "Because if you go into a, a a business owner's office and you say, hey, I want you to sponsor me,' he's going to say, "Well, I don't. I'm not going to sponsor you, but I'll give you one of those stickers to wear around.' Right. It's kind of the same thing. Like you're showing, you're you're putting the cart before the horse. Correct. You're going in and saying, "Hey, we're going to interview Tony Robbins, and we're going to have this sponsorship and this sponsorship." You're doing it for all the wrong reasons. Right. You should do it to either a build relationships with the person you're interviewing. You should do it to help the community, or you should do it because you love it. There should be no other reason. And I can say the same thing about starting an insurance agency. Right. You know. Sorry for the long the long rant. No, that's but. fine, Jason. What, how do you guys, one of the the things I've learned in the past three years, really focusing on referral partners, how is your agency, you mentioned the number 600, 600 different mortgage lenders out there that you guys potentially do business with. How do you stay top of mind in front of them? So I just hired a marketing manager to help with that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's It's a lot, right? I know all these people. I didn't burn bridges. I was in the field, right? I was I was a top loan officer when uh, you know back in the 2000s after I left Geico. So luckily, I didn't burn any bridges and were able to keep a lot of those those people that I knew that liked me. I liked them, and we were able to continue that over on the insurance side and do business. So I was very blessed for that. You know, I think you you know just like everything we do with a client, you got to have some automation in there. You got to have, you know, you've always got to be top of mind. But what we really do is we single out the top 20% that are above and beyond uh, that that really are in our fan club that really support us. And then we go the extra mile for them. You know, we make, uh, we try to do an experience for them, you know, whatever, whatever they like, what, whatever that involves with. And I'll tell you where that also came from is we have alliances set up with title companies and I'll tell you an alliance that's really helped us out, private mortgage insurance people. Mm, the PMI really? people have been great for us. We've got this guy over here in uh, Richmond who literally knows everyone. And it's not as competitive. I mean, he's probably got five other companies he's up against, but it's not near as competitive as for us. But, right. you know, he really helps us and gives us the lowdown on what things are going on and uh, what events are coming up and who's doing what, right? They know all the stats behind what loan officers are still uh, being productive. Right now, it's a really tough time. Uh, so having that, those those numbers, knowing, you know, kind of what they're doing really helps us cater to them. I'm trying to figure out for all these agents listening to this, the private mortgage insurance guy, is he like a marketing manager for a company that, 
that has private mortgage insurance products. Is that who he is? That's correct. Okay. When you say you guys look at the 20%, are you talking about the top 20% of lenders that, you know, your, your top 20% of people that are already referring to you? Or are you saying you focus on the people who are doing the top 20% of loans? We, in the area? we want to focus on the top 20% of people doing loans, right? I mean, we don't ever forget about anybody that is, you know, the people that are sending us one deal a month, Yeah, you know, they're valuable. They're still yeah. valuable to us because they're a raving fan. They're going to go over and tell their office. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got some loan officers that, you know, give us a deal a month. We, we, we're trying to get more exclusive with them, but deep down, we don't know what they've got going on, right? Maybe right. they really are only doing one deal a month. We don't know, but that loan officer has the potential to introduce us to other loan officers, other real estate agents, other people. So um, we, it, every opportunity we want to take full advantage of, but we do, we want to go after that top 20% because those are, I mean, obviously it's a volume game, right? I mean, don't get it twisted. We got to get the volume in there. Uh-huh. And, but we, but we, we care about every relationship. Yeah, for sure. I, I do think one thing that I, I tell other agents and I tell our team is you got to focus on the people that are doing the loans because you can, you can spin your wheels like crazy going after somebody that's doing 10 loans a year. Right. When in reality about, in my experience, about 30 to 40% of buyers are going to come to the table with their own insurance and they're dead set that they want Allstate or they want State Farm or they want Progressive and you're not going to change their mind. Nope. So if you take somebody that's doing 10 loans a year, 40%, then there's there's only six referrals you can have, sure. right? Well, you're going to be not competitive on a few of those. And another mistake I think people make is because the realtors are the ones that are out there and hey, look at me, buy from me. And it's always the ones who don't really sell anything to do that. But uh, because the realtors do that, everybody tends, especially when you're new in the business, Jason, everybody tends to flock to the realtors because they're easy to contact, right? Right. They're public. When in reality, the average real estate agent in America makes $15,000 a year. Right. That's one house. So you're, 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 you're going after no offense to any of my realtor friends. I love all you guys, but you're going after Sally, right? You bring them the pretzels with the, your, the agency name stuck to your, stuck to the pretzel box. And then two months later, you're like, well, Sally's not sending me any deals. It's because Sally didn't sell any houses. Right. Right. You got to go to the people who are doing volume. That's where you have to start because it sets you up for success. Well, and Bradley just dovetailed into the question I wanted to ask, and he kind of touched on it real briefly, but I was going to ask both of you, do you find when you're dealing with very successful mortgage lenders, agents that sell mortgages, and let's say they're doing 20 to 30 a month, and, and maybe that's slowed down a little bit now with mortgage rates going up, but yeah, do you find that a lot of times they're like, uh, well, hey, I, I appreciate y'all you know, wanting to to, to do business with us, but who you really need to be talking to are my two processors. Yep. And then trying to build that relationship actually more with the processors than you do with the actual lender himself or herself. Is that like when you get a good commercial account and you deal with a CFO and the owner doesn't even know you exist? That's like my favorite type of account. But do y'all, do you both see that quite, quite frequently? Yeah, I'm going to give a, a quick shout out to uh, Billy Wagner. So I'm in his mastermind group and he came up with this thing called Master the Meeting. 
And uh, I've kind of <laughs> just really copied that. I mean, he's got a he's he's phenomenal process guy. I know he's been on your show. Um, he does a lot of speaking events. He's just a great guy. He's very good at processes. Come on. Oh my gosh, he is. <laughs> he is. I mean, he could do anything and make it successful. So he came up with this thing called Master of the Meeting, and, and on the Master of the Meeting, he's asking the questions. I'm a big question guy. Everything revolves around questions and every, you know, my sales call, my processes, all of them are going to be like question after question after question, because we want to get to the root of the problem so that I can solve it. And then I'm going to figure out how to make it very easy, simple, and ease your pain point. So he, in that master of the meeting, he's asking, Hey, you know, how does your binder process look like? Do you handle that? Or do you have someone else that handles that? Do you handle the referrals or do you have a processor or an assistant who handles the referrals? Mm-hmm. You know, how many is on your team? What are y'all's, what are your goals? Mm-hmm. What, do, what, what do you envision in the next year, three year, five year? Almost like he's interviewing someone for a job. Mm-hmm. That's how he goes about mastering the meeting. And it's all centered around them and how they're operating. And then what we've done is we flip the script. So we, we master the meeting and then we start getting personal. Hey, tell us a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about your family. Carlos Vargas is is very good on that frog, friends, yeah. recreation, occupation goals, right? We frog our loan officers. We say, hey, tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about you. What are the experiences? What are your hobbies? When I what first heard that, I wanted to use it just so I could say I frog my loan officers. <laughs> I, what, say, it, say it again. The acronym is frog. Friends. Friends, uh, recreation, occupation, goals. Okay. That's good to write. I'm writing that down. Another angle we'll take too, Jason, I'd love to get your thoughts on this is when you go after these lenders, I mean, right now, I don't know about where you are in our area. Somebody that's doing 10 loans a month is doing pretty good. Yeah. One of the things that when when you deal with these guys and gals who are high performers, they all have a guy or a girl that's doing their loans. And what we do, and they're expecting you to come in. This is some Aunt B secret sauce. Gotcha. When you come in, they are expecting you to come in to replace that guy or girl. Right. Okay. So what we do is we do the opposite of that. And I go in from the angle of, hey, and I may even say this, I know you have a guy. I'm not trying to replace your guy. In fact, your guy is phenomenal, even if they're not. Mm-hmm. Your guy is phenomenal. They do a great job. All I'm trying to do is be in the rotation to throw me a bone. Sure. And my whole goal in that conversation is is to just get one. Let's just the next one. And a lot of times they probably, if they're a high enough producer, they have one that's floating around in their head right now that's a problem client from an insurance standpoint. Right. A lot of times it's flood. It's There's a flood situation. <laughs> I find a lot of agents around here aren't, aren't as versed as we are on flood. And a lot of times I lead that meeting with a referral. And then your job is to kick ass on that one. Right. And then... You eventually, you build that relationship, you work your way up, you work your way up, and then eventually we have a conversation about becoming the guy. So, Jason, that dovetails right into what we wanted to talk about today. We want to talk about leading with umbrella, which is your specialty. That, to me, flies into the face of what I've heard Bradley and Matt Namoli and some of these others talk about, including yourself, which is speed to get that quote back to that loan officer as fast as you can and as accurately as you can so they can close out a loan. How in the world are you able to lead with umbrella if you know your whole reason for being is to get these these mortgage lenders what they need as fast as possible? 
Yeah, and I just wanted to piggyback on uh, Brandon's, you know, what you said, uh, Bradley. I'm sorry, Bradley. Get it right. Answer there. We when we go, we had this loan officer that we were trying to get, and we couldn't get them. And I was finally just asking. I said, "Hey, why? Why can't you know? Why wouldn't you want to refer us?" And it was like, "Hey, I've got a friend in the business, and I've been friends with this guy for since high school. I've been using him for the last 15 years." You guys come along. I know you guys are better. I hear your name all the time. You've got great recognition, but I'm loyal to him. I'm just not going to use you. And I said, look, just keep us in your phone. Just keep us in your phone. Just if there's ever a problem, if you don't pick up, you don't hear from for a couple of days, there's a problem he can't handle. Whatever it is, we just want the opportunity. Just give us an opportunity and we will we will be there and we will be five stars. We'll knock a home run for you. And we'll win you over. And now slowly, it's taken yeah. years, but slowly he's starting to refer us more than that other person. The other person's with, you know, a captive carrier. They're just not able to do what we can do. Right. So they're my, not able my, to do it as fast or as great as we been, can do it. Does he want a job or does he want to sell his agency? Right. Yeah, and that's how I was successful as a loan officer, too. Yeah. A lot of real estate agents, top real estate agents as a new loan officer, you come in and they're like, who's this new guy? I've been using this person forever. We've had no problems. I just say, yeah. hey. Put my name and number in your phone. There's going to be a time where they don't pick up. There's going to be a time where they can't handle what they need to handle. And we're going to be there. I'm going to pick up. I'm going to be available. Another strategy you can use too, if you have, say, a new lender that you see potential in or a new realtor that you see potential in, let's use established realtor, new lender. Okay. An established realtor. So there's a guy I work with, number one realtor in Mobile County, a lot of years a top producing realtor's biggest problem is finding enough lenders that can adequately handle the deals they do. Okay. Cause you've got one lender that's dealing with 30 realtors, right? So what I've done in the past is I link this top producing realtor up with a brand new mortgage lender who has nothing but time and can fall all over themselves for every deal you send them. Right. right. And the realtor's happy because he's got somebody who's a young hustler who's ready to like, you know, shuck the corn, as Scott would say, for their deals to get done. The young lender is like freaking married to Portal Insurance now. My God, I've been in the business two months and you've introduced me to the number one realtor in the county and they're sending their deals to me. That's another little trick you can use to kind of get, you know, let's marry two people together. Right. And the, and you're a great connector, Bradley, by the way. You do a great job of connecting people. To Jason's point about this situation he ran into, though, I was sitting here thinking like, I don't know how you could do this without pissing the mortgage lender off, but there is an argument to be made that they have a fiduciary responsibility to the person that's taking out that loan. And if your bestie from high school is with a captive carrier and I'm an independent that has six, seven, eight different carriers, and I could uh, most of the time, more than likely get that client of the mortgage lender a better rate on their insurance because I simply have more choices. Is there a fiduciary responsibility there by him to come to you and say, I'm still going to get a quote from my guy, but I want to get a quote from you guys because you got seven different carriers to run that through. I don't know that. Well, that. what he's going to say when you say that is, is, and I'm not saying this is true, but that that other carrier has a better policy. Oh. So you have that side of it too. But my bet is, here's my bet, and and it's it's a perfect scenario for you just to hang around because what's going to happen eventually? Right. They're going to take rate. Right. 
And right, right. my bet is it's a captive carrier. You don't have to say who. It's a captive carrier in whatever area they're in that's super competitive yeah. and has a good rate. Because the first time they're consistently not competitive and they're not able to help his clients rate-wise or her clients, yeah, kill goes in. You know what I mean? Right, right. So that's my bet is that's that's the case. And otherwise, we wouldn't be having this conversation if they weren't competitive. So, Jason, tell us how you're leading with Umbrella. I love this. Yeah. So, you know, the loan officer, their system process sends us the deal over. We're going with their unique process to handle what we've got to handle. Everything we're doing, text, email, calls, is to get that client on the phone once we've completed you know, what we need to do with that loan officer. And once we have them on the phone, we're going through three stages of a sales call, mm. a discovery question stage, storytelling stage, and then we're closing. And the close is, you know, I put the close on there just because I'm a, I'm a, I love to argue, love to negotiate, um, love to handle objections kind of guy. But really what that is, is that's a self-discovery. We want them to, we want them to say to themselves, Hey, you're right. I need this. This is no longer a want. I need the umbrella. What do I got to do to get it? Here's my checkbook. So this three stages, discovery, number one, discovery, two, storytelling, three, closing. We're talking specifically now about the sale of the umbrella policy. That's right. We're and, and, mm-hmm. and is this going on simultaneously with the sale of the actual homeowner's policy that you're trying to, to get as well? That's right. We've So we've already quoted the home. We already kind of narrowed this down to what we want, you know, depending on the process. I mean, obviously, in a perfect world, that loan officer would say, hey, that loan officer would say, hey here's the 1003 or here's the client's name and number. Right. Please handle this and get it back to us as fast as possible. So once that happens, we get that client on the phone. We're no, we, we've already gotten the lead in for the home. That's what the loan officer thinks. We, we're just getting the homeowner's insurance. Client probably thinks the same. But what we do is we slow down on that call. It's a rush to get that person on the phone. But once they're on the phone, we're not doing 15 minutes or less. Right. We're doing whatever it takes to go through that whole process to get them understand the complete coverage they need and sell it. What part of the sales process, you get them on the phone, the prospect's on the phone, you're trying to get this home policy bound and over to the the mortgage lender as fast as possible. And as you're going through those steps, literally, if you've never sold insurance before, I can print out a homeowner's uh, quote uh, document that shows you each question to ask. But through that process, are you saying you get all the way through the home air quote stuff and then you switch gears and go to the umbrella or is it the umbrella is kind of mixed in with that? So behind the scenes, if we were sharing computers, right, we're getting all the home and auto information we can get, right? We're filling in all the blanks, but through talking and asking questions, we're selling the umbrella only. Gotcha. Okay. Does that make sense? So who are you primarily writing your umbrellas with? Because Good God, if an insure tech was listening to this, some somebody somebody compete with personalumbrella.com. Please. Uh, it it Please. is the worst user interface. It's the hardest product to sell, and it should be the easiest. If some insure techs listen to this and you want to blow the insurance industry wide open, create a an easy to write umbrella product. Anyway, continue. Who are you writing your umbrellas with? Yeah. So we tried our best hundred percent of the time to put them all with one carrier. Yeah. And you know. See, that doesn't exist where 
where I work, where I'm at. Because it's, it's tough. Got it's tough. And all that, yeah. Right. It, it is tough. And we, we have not used, look, we get solicitation from personal umbrella all, every day, all day. They, do they solicit you by fax? Because that's probably how they do it. <laughs> Sorry. I don't have facts. So they I feel like I'm, got... I, I'm saying things today. I want people listening to this to be like, preach, brother, preach. Yes. Anyway, continue. Yeah, no, I would love for that. You know, I got asked that question at Innovation. And I, it, right now, the only way we're not bundling it is if it doesn't fit the guidelines, right? They, yeah. They've got tickets, accidents, um, you know, something doesn't work there. But we've also found that some of our, our carriers will allow exceptions as long as that we they know we've got the other policy, so yeah. we've been yeah, able and to get we, and we run into that too a little bit. The problem is though, well, I won't go into it. We well, just well, Bradley, your process for this di- is different because you and I have talked about it on the podcast. Uh-huh. You are literally trying from a speed perspective mm-hmm. to get that lender what they need. Yep, to satisfy that loan and get it to the finish line as fast as you can not talking about any other products. And then at the 30 day mark, you're calling, we go back and get it. You call back and you say, okay, our objective to begin with was to get you closed out on that home. Mr. And Miss homeowner. Congratulations. We, we, we accomplished that mission. Let's talk about your other stuff. Yeah. Now. Well, and it, and it goes completely against what every insurance agent out there believes with the whole bundling and, you know, retention and adding a product that, you know, they stay 7% longer and all that stuff. But one of our selling points to the lenders is because we're in an area, the area that I'm in, there's a lot of captives who are very successful. Okay. The captives have a little bit of an advantage, right? But their home rate is dependent upon the auto. Every single lender on the face of this planet has had a deal fall through because the customer was quoted one price, assuming the auto, they would get the auto too. Junior has an accident. They're not eligible for the auto or it's really high. And then the the home rate goes up 35% because you don't have the auto. They lose the deal. The DTI is out of whack. Correct. So our deal is, is, hey, we'll do the home. We're not worried about any of that other stuff. We're not worried about selling them life insurance or home insurance or umbrella or anything. Let's get the home in place. Let's get the home sold. That's all everybody really cares about anyway. Then we'll go out. So that's our selling point to the lenders of like, hey, we're aligning ourselves with you. So it's a little it's a little bit different. I mean, it's I don't do what you do, but I yeah. I, I like it. I do too. I, uh, I, I think for me and my Geico experience, I was always frustrated that, you know, I was in the auto sales department. All I saw was old auto, 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 auto every day. And then I realized how much money I was making, how much money I was losing, right? Because we're not offering the other product. Uh-huh. You're probably not getting much renewals either. And, and for the fact that we're getting zero renewals. And then the fact that it's not good coverage. It's not complete coverage. It's not benefiting right. the client. So when I thought of this process, I said, look, the, this is a win-win-win for everybody. The client will now be completely covered. Our mission statement is helping people live life confidently through insurance. They're completely covered. I've saved them money because they've got all the bundling discounts. And it's a win for me because now instead of one policy, I've got three and I don't have to worry about all the callbacks. And that's really what the big issue was with for me is, Bradley, we would sell the home and then it would take us, shoot, almost a year to try to get it all bundled up because we couldn't get a hold mm-hmm. of the client. Yeah. We couldn't, we couldn't get back in touch. We couldn't get their time again. And we're not super successful at it, to be honest with you. We don't sell, we don't sell as many as we should. Yeah, so, so th- this way is an opportunity. We've we've got their full attention. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it, it's of urgency because the loan officer needs it to clear the condition to close. Uh-huh. So time right then is a favor on our side. Once you give them what they want, once you tell them the price and they don't like it, you're in trouble. Well, I'll tell you too, on their side. the last thing I want is a big book of auto insurance customers. Right. Because it's the highest service policy. Yeah. The most can go wrong. And the the last, last thing I want, we wrote an account last month that was 35000 in revenue, let's say. I don't want his car insurance. Right. Because, again, Junior has an accident. The car insurance goes up by 25%, and yep. he pulls a very large account for you know what i mean right so right. so at the same time we're not super successful at going back and getting the autos but the ones we want we go get and i guess my question because i'm channeling these agents out here listening to this is from a speed perspective when you get that homeowner's policy over to the lender and the the customers agree to it have you put the auto discount in some way on that policy, assuming that you're going to sell it in 30 days, or do you just leave all that off and say, Hey, great news, Mr. Customer. Uh, if we add this, you'll get a little bit of a refund back. Assuming that the care, I know, say I'm talking because I'm in North Alabama with blue blood carriers right. and Bradley is in South Alabama with Ray Ray's used tires, tattoo shop and insurance carrier. Yeah. So you're not probably even having to deal with as much of that. We don't, none of our home carriers, have auto products right some of them have a they call it uh i know what you're gonna say uh you have a standard carrier auto policy they give you like a five percent discount or something they call it auto and agency discount so if you have the auto the discounts are very minimal no we don't put it on there because they're going to ask for proof of that and we wouldn't do that anyway but we do tell them so we have an automation that goes along with a task for the csr to call them but we have an automation that goes to them that basically says, hey, there's a really good chance we could save you some money on not only on the home, but on the audit. Right. So, Scott, Jason, I'm gonna shock I'm gonna shock you right now. Please do. I love to be shocked. All right. So what's great about our process is when we run them through and we're selling that umbrella first and we go through the qualifications of knowing, you know, what they have on their record for their auto, right. Claims they've got on their home and whether they qualify for all of it. If they don't we know it's not a customer we want to write. There you go. Yeah, so the, qual- we, the qualification. We're not afraid to say no, and we'll right. tell the, the loan officer, hey, thanks for the referral. We'll get the next one. This yeah. wasn't a good fit. Right. So I'm going to end this podcast today by telling you two things. Number one, that I love you, and I cannot wait for you and I to break bread together and get to spend some time together. Likewise, I look, brother. I look forward to that immensely. Likewise, you, you are somebody that I want to get to know better for no personal gain of myself, other than I just enjoy meeting new people and making more friends. That's the only reason. Well, the Scott, second- I'm going to tell you right now, you are the godfather of storytelling. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I may lead with umbrella. I may have a lot of stories. I may train my team every day about telling your umbrella stories for that risk for people to get umbrella. But I'm telling you right now, listening to your show, knowing who you are and hearing you talk. You're the godfather of storytelling for insurance. Well, I I really, really appreciate you making me emotional, but you just walked right into the second thing I wanted to say to all of these agents out there. What he's doing, in my opinion, is the right way to do this. But the most important part of this three-step process that he gave you guys, discovery, which is self-discovery, asking the right questions, 
storytelling, and closing. The most important part of selling an umbrella policy or a life insurance policy is the storytelling. Mm -hmm. I have three or four umbrella stories in my back pocket that I can use at any time. And when you, when you find the right client who maybe they're a doctor, a lawyer, a professional, they have youthful drivers, they have assets, they have land, they have a secondary home. Jewelry. These people have got to have an umbrella policy. So out of my back pocket, here comes Scott telling his story. Let me tell you what happened to a buddy of mine whose son on the very last day of school, they got out at noon in Hoover, Alabama. The son invited his ninth grade best friend over to their house to watch TV, eat snacks, you know, what kids do in the ninth grade. And they get there and they jump on the family golf cart and they're riding around the neighborhood. Their house was down in a hole. So they had kind of a long, uh, sloped driveway down to the, the bottom of the, the, the garage. And the kid is swerving real sharply with the golf cart, just joking around with his buddy, but he gets going down this long driveway and that golf cart got up to about 30 or 40 miles an hour. And he decides to one more time do the jerk the wheel thing and his best friend falls out on his head and dies. Mm. Now that Monday, we get a call from the family that they are calling in their umbrella policy because they, they have been told that they will be getting filed a lawsuit related to the wrongful death of their son. Those types of stories are what sell those policies. Do you agree, Jason? Oh, my hair is raised right now on my arm. Uh, you couldn't have told it better than that. I mean, that's that's essential. You tell a story like that, a tragic story like that, that's oh, yeah. heartfelt. A lot of a lot of selling is um, emotional and empathetic, right? And when you touch people's heartstrings, that's when people know they need it. That's when people understand. Right. They see it. You know, they hear it. They see it. They can feel it. Mm -hmm. And insurance is thin air until then. Mm -hmm. it, it means nothing to no one. No one really wants to have it until that, until that moment. Yep. And then they say, okay, I get it now. You made it clear. What do I need? What do I need to do to get this? And then it, there's no close. There's no handling objections. It's however much this costs, this is what I need to pay. This is what I need to get. And, and Warren Buffett to that point, <laughs> I want you listens to every week. have your wife call me. The next time a branch falls on a tree, somebody backs up to her in the Target parking lot, water damage in the bathroom while you're at the World Economic Summit in Finland, you have her call me. I'll take care of her. I'll handle the claim for her. And the reason I'm going to do that, Warren, is that's what she wants. Mm -hmm. Whether you believe that or not, that's what she wants. And in addition to that, my brother, Bradley Flowers, if you don't like making money, if you don't like making money, don't do what he said. Just keep doing what you're doing, Warren. I'm sure it'll all continue to work well for you. Well, and when you and, and you mentioned life insurance, so when you a lot of people get into this industry selling life insurance. Correct. When you start selling life insurance, they teach you to sell with stories. Correct. Okay. Well, a big problem with life insurance sales is what's the what's the saying? The big problem is buyer's remorse. Right. People buy a policy from you a couple months later, even a couple days later, sometimes they change their mind and 
they want to cancel the policy. They're getting six hundred eighty-seven dollars direct yes. taken out of their account every month for that ten million dollar policy you just sold. Them. And one of the and I'm not disagreeing with you, but one of the biggest causes of buyer's remorse is selling on emotion uh-huh. without closing with logic. Correct. You sell them with the story. Right. You trigger that emotion, right. and then, all right, now it's time to put pen to paper and break down exactly why this makes logical, economical sense. This is how much it costs. We're saving you this much over here, so it's really only this much. You sell them on the logic of doing it. That's what keeps them from getting buyer's remorse and keeps them on the books. I, I think, I, I'm going to be honest with you, the more I hear about it, and I think I could make more money than a show dog could jump over doing this, I think the way to sell life insurance today is that policy that so many people have taken out, I believe it's an IUL, where you can borrow against it. I think there's now story after story, even on TikTok, you hear people talking about, I started my business from a life insurance policy that I borrowed the funds against. I think that's the way to sell life insurance today, rather than the whole let me tell you about my best friend who left his wife with nothing, and now she and her mm-hmm. kids are struggling to survive. Well, you have, you know, be in your own bank. I was listening Correct. to a podcast with Alex Hormozzi, and I'm going to get this slightly wrong. It's been a long time since I've sold life insurance, but there's a strategy that super wealthy people use. Correct. I'm going to use Elon Musk for an example. Elon, his salary at Tesla is is really low. Right. It's not not a lot. I think even like Jeff Bezos, he's really low, right? Right. But what they do is they go and get a loan against the stock, their stock in their company. Right. Debt is not taxable. Correct. So if they were going to pay themselves $3 million, the government's going to take half of that if it's income. Right. But if it's a loan against right. the stock of their company, there's no tax. Right. So what this strategy they were talking about and they touched on it and then they they got away from it but because i sold life insurance i kind of picked up where they were going is basically you buy a life insurance policy mm-hmm. right let's say it's a ul or whole life or whatever you take the loan against that right you make the payments all that good stuff right you avoid right. taxes that way and then when you die you have the life insurance benefit as well which is tax free so there's a Correct. there's a way to use that i think if you want to sell high level life insurance 100% that's the way you go yeah yeah ladies and gentlemen I mean, we're going to have a bradley flowers video on life insurance that's going to come out right after this <laughs> i just filmed it i just filmed it it's here i've got five cameras on me right now he he's exactly right and in my opinion if you want to get rich in the world of life insurance if you can understand what he just said front to back for uh, especially for the it doesn't have to be ultra and you have to be super careful with the investment side of things you have to how you talk to people about it but but there's a way there for someone multiple people somebody like myself to go out and sell a tremendous amount of life insurance showing them that model which at the end of the day is what it's doing is it's providing not only the death benefit when you borrow against the money anyway, which is tax free, which is tax free, but it's also providing a tax haven and you're not being taxed on all that money that you're putting into that life insurance policy that you now at any time you can borrow against. Mm-hmm. That's the way to sell life. Insurance. Here's the key though: if you do the whole bank on yourself thing, where you have the life policy and you're borrowing for, and, and all that stuff. The key to it is, is you can't be broke when you start it. Right. You have to have a lump sum to start that with. Correct. And or 
you have to pay for it for many, many, many years before you're able to do it. That's that's the whole key. Right. And that's the knock it gets of like, well, I can technically be broke and borrow money from a bank. You can't technically I mean you, yeah you've right. got to have forty thousand fifty thousand hundred thousand right. you know, some kind of lump sum of money to put in there to start that but, but to jason's point doing your recon on the front end like he's the, talking about with the umbrella mm-hmm. it's kind of the same there yeah. you're going to figure out real fast if this is somebody that needs this product or not for sure 100 percent. Right. and i'm more speaking to the consumer when i when i say that but right i don't sell life insurance by the way it's not something i want oh, me to either. Me neither. Not- I, i'm just saying there's there's a great opportunity there now for yeah. people because that's been so publicly put out there on places like YouTube, TikTok, uh, Twitter, where people are like, hey, let me tell you what you do with your damn money. Put it in a life insurance policy. Uh, I'll tell you somebody else that did that with their coaching contract was uh, Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh from Michigan utilized yep. life insurance in lieu of salary, I believe, somehow. I, some, I can't remember exactly how he did it. it. Yeah. But it's something where they basically he's they're taking the money, part of the money they would pay him, and they've got some huge life insurance well, policy on him. I'll tell you this, too, and I actually was going to bring this up. I mean, there's a lot of crazy stuff with life insurance you can do. Um, so I've told a story on the podcast before that uh, you and I talked to a lot of people right. that, man, I never thought in a million years I'd be in insurance. It's the most boring thing from the outside. Look, You know, that whole thing. And I was actually an exception to that rule because I was 16 years old and said, hey, I want to be in insurance. And the reason why is there were two guys that. I played golf with that got to play more golf than anybody. Sure. And both of them were insurance agents. Correct. And I was like, I'm not a dumb kid. I see the common denominator here. That's the field I'm going in. One of those guys actually just passed away uh, yesterday, unfortunately, R- Mr. Uh, Bob Green, good, R- good friend R- of mine. R.I.P., baby. But his business was, they called it Bowley, bank-owned life insurance. And go. I don't know the exact specifics of it, but I know enough Essentially, what Bowley is, is a bank. Let's say you are an employee of a bank, Scott, okay? And this bank estimates they are going to spend a million dollars over your 30-year career on your benefits. That's what your employee benefits are going to cost them. Okay. So what the bank does is the bank buys a life insurance policy for a million dollars on you with the bank as the beneficiary. It's kind of like it's kind of like a key man, but it's not a key man because you're right. not a key man. You're just a teller. Sure, sure. So it's it's to offset that cost. And then right. when you pass away, and so that's that's actually what he sold. And, and does the bank pay for the policy? Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's just they're the mm-hmm. owner, owner. The bank the pays for the policy. Sometimes I think they'll they'll give the employee a slice of it. Right, right. Like right. like hey you fifty thousand you get or whatever. But but it's a way for them to offset the liability in a tax a tax shelter kind of way. But that was his business, and he would sell. I remember. I mean, he would sell. He would sell one deal a year and make a hundred thousand dollars sure. because he would go to this oh. bank and write a million dollar policy on every single employee. Correct. And it was it was really fascinating. So anyway, there's a lot of crazy stuff. And I was going to bring up his passing, unfortunately, so it kind of led right into it. Jason, we love you. I got to get off this podcast, and as I end every episode. Rewards come from action, not discussion. Get your ass out from behind that desk today. My friend and great American Jason Kilgo has done a great job of going out into the big bad world and developing relationships with mortgage lenders, their processors, other people in the real estate world, and developing those relationships 
without any preconceived notion that one day they might send him 10 or 15 deals a month to write homeowners insurance. That's the way to do that. Go out today and develop those relationships. And one day, as Gary Vaynerchuk looked me dead in my face sitting in his office and looked Bradley dead in his face in his his office, and he looked at both of us and he said, you know, guys, if you'll do this podcast for 10 years, maybe one day something great will happen to you. You remember that? Mm -hmm. Yep. Same thing here. Might not happen day one, might not happen the first year, but if you'll keep them – knowing who you are top of mind make sure you understand who they are get them you know the things they need figure out what their pain points are one day that one lead that you knock completely out of the ballpark the way that the astros did in the world series jason kilgrove Ast- astro fan uh sitting there with his astro shirt on today congratulations jason on them winning the world series by the way one day one day, that one lead that you jumped on and got them what they needed as fast as they could might turn into 20 or 30 a month, and you're closing 15, 16 of those. Well, now you're on the fast track, right? That's where you are. Go make money for your family, for your wife, for your kids' college fund, for your husband, for your parents that are struggling out there the way mine are. Go out there and make money for them write good business for the companies that you represent and write good business for the agencies that you represent. Bradley Flowers, I love Thanks, you. brother. Thanks, Jason. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, proud. Thank you, guys. Honor. We love you, too. Hey, I'll see you in January. Love you, brother. We're, we're going to go to dinner one night in January. Yeah, okay? we're going to meet up at your conference, man. We're going to party it out, all right? Great job, Jason. Thank you. Appreciate it. Guys, you are listening to the Insurance Guys podcast, and we love each and every one of you. Thank you so much for being a part of our family and we'll see you back here real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the insurance guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at the insurance guy online.com or email me at Scott at iprotectinsurance.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to portalinsurance.com or email him at bradley at portalinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. We thank you so much for listening to our show and being a part of our family. And we look forward to seeing you again next week on the next episode of the Insurance Guys podcast. Take care.